I want to tell you a quick story um, about a guy. Um, he and some of his friends uh, decided that they were going to uh, tell other people about Jesus. And uh, so they went to this place in their town where, um, where they knew there were going to be a lot of people who needed to know that Jesus uh, was the promised one of God, the one that God had sent to rescue people from their sin. And so they went to this place, and, and they had already been warned uh, not to uh, tell folks about Jesus in, in that town there and, uh, and really threatened um, and uh, with some pretty severe consequences if they would. And so they, uh, but they decided, hey, we're going to do this anyways. God's called us to do this. Jesus commanded us to tell people about him. So we're going to do it. And so they went, and uh, sure enough, they were arrested. Um, they, were, uh, they were put in, put in prison. Uh, later on, uh, the, the Lord miraculously um, allowed them to escape from prison. And, uh, and so they, instead of running away, uh, they decided to go right back to what they were doing that got them put in prison to begin with. They went right back and started uh, telling folks about uh, Jesus. Uh, well, that uh, then, as you can guess, uh, got them arrested once more. And this time, uh, it was a little bit bigger to do. And, uh, and those who arrested them decided that uh, they were going to tell them not to talk about Jesus anymore and give them some serious threats. Um, and, uh, in fact, they were going to kill them, but there was one individual who uh, persuaded the, the rest of those to not kill the men. And they said, okay, we won't kill uh, this man and his friends, uh, but we're going we're gonna to teach them a lesson. And so they, uh, they beat them and then ordered them to not talk about, uh, about Jesus anymore to the people. I want to I read you the end of this story. It says this, um, And when they had called them in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That man's name was Peter. His friends were the other apostles, and that story is found in Acts chapter 4. Sometimes we just need to hear the Bible as if it's not the Bible because we get so familiar with the stories that are found there. That man named Peter went on to spend his life telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. He also wrote a couple of letters. And we're going to one of those letters this morning, the letter of First Peter. I want you to think about that, though. It says that they left. They left. After they were beaten, they were left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What should be our attitude towards suffering when the suffering is a direct result of living according to the righteous way that Jesus commanded us to live? What should be our attitude about that. How should we view this suffering for righteousness sake, suffering for Jesus sake? Well, that's what the Apostle Peter writing this letter to the elect exiles scattered across Asia at this time speaks of in the passage before us today. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Um, and hopefully you're already there. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 13, we find these words. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we study your word today, Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Father, would you soften our hearts, help us to receive uh, with, with joy your word today? Uh, Father, I pray that it would penetrate deep into our souls and do what only your word can do. Father, mold us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's someone here today who has not been born again by the by the power of your Holy Spirit as they trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Father, for those of us who have trusted Christ, Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in our love for you and in our understanding about what, about what it means to, to live for you, on mission for you as exiles in this world. Father, be with us during this time. Use it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to speak to you today about a mission of suffering, the blessed life. If I could give you one statement to kind of summarize this passage, it would be this. We lead others to worship Jesus when we view suffering for Jesus as a means of blessing. We lead others to worship Jesus when we view suffering for Jesus as a means of blessing. Just to remind us of where we're at in this letter as we've been walking through this awesome letter that Peter wrote to these elect exiles. He began by speaking about these Christians' status. They are exiles. And he, he calls them to praise God for their salvation in chapter 1. And then he goes on in the rest of chapter 1 to call them to recognize the standard of holiness to which people who are been saved by God, are called by God to live their lives according to. And then he spends some time there uh, in chapter 2, beginning end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, talking about our identity. He wants us to realize that we are identified with Jesus and with God's people. While the world around us may reject us, God has welcomed us and we have one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But then he moves from there halfway through chapter two to really the heart of his letter where he speaks about what we're to do as exiles. I mean, why has God left us here on this earth if really our home is not here anymore? He has he has purchased us out of our sin to live with him forever. So what are we still doing here? Well, we have a mission that we are to be living on. The reason God has simultaneously set us apart from the world and called us to remain in the world is that we would point others to his glory as they see the change that Jesus has made in our lives. Well, there's two strategies to this mission of helping others become worshipers of God that God's called us to. The, strat the first strategy that we saw near the uh, end of chapter 2 and on into the first part of chapter 3 was the strategy of submission. The strategy of submission, when we willingly submit to those in authority over us, even when they treat us harshly, we show the world that we are living for something greater than this world. And so the first strategy was that of submission. But now he transitions to the second strategy for this mission, and that is the strategy of suffering, suffering. You see, when we willingly endure suffering, 
for doing good. That is when we are when we suffer because we are doing the right thing, because Jesus told us to do the right thing. We show the world that we are living for something greater than this world. Now, if you'll back up to the previous passage in verses eight through twelve. We learn that a lifestyle of missional submission will flow from a lifestyle of righteous living. If we're going to do that first strategy, submitting to those in authority, and we could, you could go back and see the different areas that he talks about that in relation to. If we're going to do that, we have to have our hearts set on living rightly before the Lord. If we don't care about obeying Jesus and the commands of Christ, then we're we're definitely not going to obey the command to submit to harsh masters who are ruling over us. So it's this call to live in righteousness. And yet Peter knows that when we live righteously, we will suffer for it. But that's okay. In fact, Peter says in this passage, it's not just okay. It is a what? A blessing. It is a blessing when we suffer for righteousness sake. Suffering for righteousness sake is a blessing because it's a part of God's plan to draw other people into relationship with him. And when we view suffering for Jesus as a means of blessing, we will end up leading other people to become worshipers of Jesus. We live on mission for Jesus by suffering for Jesus. Now, I want to ask this question It's this, what does it mean to suffer for righteousness sake? You notice there in verse 14, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, we're going to throw that phrase around a lot today. And so I want to make sure that we know what we're talking about when we're talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Well, this is what we don't mean. Peter doesn't mean the suffering that simply comes to everyone as a result of living in a fallen world. Okay, we all suffer, Christian and non-Christian. We go through suffering in this life because we live in A fallen world. I mean, sometimes we suffer major things like a bad report from the doctor. just happens because our bodies are broken. Sometimes we suffer just uh, financial uh, discomfort because maybe we lost a job. It wasn't anything that we we did. It just just came and and out of nowhere and and now we're suffering for it. Sometimes we suffer those trials of life that come like when you have children, Right? And, and, and sometimes you suffer at the hands of your little ones. You know, like when they ask questions like, why, 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 why? And we suffer that. We suffer that. Just for instance, um, my, my daughter who's four, Letty, she, um, she woke up the other morning like she normally does with her mind just in high gear. Okay, I mean, literally the other day she woke up and I walked into her room and she's half asleep and she sits up and she says, Daddy, how do you spell the word stop? Who thinks that as their first thought when they wake up in the morning? How do you spell a word? I have no clue why she asked me that, but I told her that's her, how her mind works. It's in high gear. And so a few mornings before that, I had walked into the kitchen and, and my wife said, she said, um, Letty has has asked me a billion questions already, and she's only been up for 10 minutes. To which Letty, who was listening to my wife tell me that, say, no, Mommy, that's not right. I've been up for 30 minutes. We're not talking about that kind of suffering, okay? 
That's not the kind of suffering that we talk about. I make light of that. That's not real suffering. But we do experience all kinds of suffering that non-Christian and Christian alike, we go through. This is not that kind of suffering. This is suffering for righteousness sake. This is suffering because you did the right thing. Because you wanted to bring honor and glory to Jesus. And because you did the right thing, the world persecutes you. This is the opposition we face from the world when we seek to live in a way that brings honor to Jesus. You say, well, you're telling me that, that, that I might suffer because of Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely telling you that. You know why? Because Peter's telling us that. Because the Bible tells us that. Because Jesus told us to expect to suffer in this world. We don't belong here. We are exiles, and so we will suffer for righteousness' sake. But we should consider it a blessing. And so I want to share with you four things that I think, four truths that will help us consider and view suffering for the name of Jesus a blessing. Number one, you should consider suffering for righteousness sake a blessing because it focuses our mind on our eternal protection through Jesus. It focuses our mind on our eternal protection through Jesus. Before he even gets to the but, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, I want you to notice the question that he begins this passage with in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Remember what he said back in verse 12. He said the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That's a great question. And, and so why does Peter start this, this passage out talking about suffering this way? Because he wants us to answer that question. Ultimately, no one. No one. Who is there to harm us? No one. Not if we understand what he means by the word harm. There Peter's not talking about some temporary kind of suffering that may come our way, but he's talking about ultimate harm. Who is there to bring us ultimate harm? No one. Verse 12 tells us that God's eyes are on the, on the righteous. His ears are open to our prayer. His face is against those who do evil. So if we are counted among the righteous, then we have God as our protector. Any harm, any suffering that we experience in this life, no matter the severity of that suffering, it is temporary. This agrees with what Peter already said in the beginning of his letter. If you fill it back to chapter 1, verse uh, 6, he says, In this you rejoice, talking about in your salvation, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. For a little while, if necessary. Even if the suffering for righteousness' sake lasts your entire life from the moment that you trust in Christ until you breathe your last breath on this earth, which it does for many Christians around the world, it is still temporary. And we must remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 when he said this to his disciples. So have no fear of them. So have no fear of them. He goes on and tells them to proclaim the good news. And then he says this, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, in light of Jesus's teaching, see what see this question. Peter says, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good at the end of the day? No one, because our eternity is secure Jesus has provided eternal protection for us. Ultimately, we will escape death 
and enjoy our eternal inheritance. Romans chapter 8, I read from this at the beginning of our service. I just wanted to note a verse that says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? He goes on and says, in all these things, that is in all the suffering, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, there's a danger for us as Christians. There's a danger that when we do good and then we face suffering, that we would run from suffering thinking that that will preserve our lives. But Christian, your life has already been preserved for all of eternity. And therefore, we don't have to run from suffering. We can stay calm in this in the face of suffering for doing good because our life has already been preserved. Who is there to harm us at the end of the day? No one, because we belong to the Lord. But he says in verse 14, there will be suffering. But even if you should suffer this temporary suffering for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Number two. You should consider suffering for righteousness sake a blessing because it points others to the worthiness of Jesus. It points others to the worthiness of Jesus. Notice what he says. He says that we should consider suffering a blessing. And he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let me say that one more time. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. You see, whenever we face the the possibility of suffering for the name of Christ, we're faced with this choice. We have before us this choice. Now, if I submit to Jesus and do what he says, then I'm going to suffer for it. But... If I submit to the desires of those who would cause me to suffer for honoring Jesus, then I will escape the suffering. You see the you see the choice there? I can submit to Jesus and and I can I can then suffer for it. Or I can submit to the will of those who don't want me to submit to Jesus and I will not suffer for it. Now, in our minds and in our human minds, we would say, well, I'll sign me up for the not suffering spot. I want to I want to be on that boat. I don't want to I don't want to suffer. And yet the choice is whether we will submit to the world or to Jesus. Well, then how do we decide? How do we decide who we will submit to? At the end of the day, we will submit to the one who we think is most worthy of our submission. We will submit to the one that we think is most worthy of our submission. I can remember um, even uh, I can remember as a, as a little kid. Um, and I hate to even say these examples because they're they're believers, brothers and sisters in Christ all over our world that are suffering, suffering great persecution and, and physical harm and horrors and ultimately death because of their salvation. Um, and I haven't experienced that um, in, in my life. Um, and so I don't say this to put this on the same par as what others are suffering around our world. But I can remember even as a as a young child who had trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior 
and, and I knew that there were certain things that I was supposed to do that would honor him and, and, and really honor my parents and, and because they were the ones kind of telling me what I should and shouldn't do. And yet I had these friends at school that, that um, they didn't make those choices. And there was this battle. I mean, do I, do I go along with what, what the world? And for my little, little world, it was my friends at the lunch table at school. Do I go along with what they're doing, which was wrong and I knew was wrong? Or, or do I... Do I do what my parents told me to do. And, and really it came down to, while I wasn't, uh, wouldn't have been able to put it in this language as a, as a 9 or 10-year-old boy, uh, it came down to who I had more respect for. Did I respect these friends more or did I respect my parents more? Was I going to honor my friends or was I going to honor my parents? Well, well, for me, and not always, but, but most of the time, my parents won out. And I had more respect for my parents than I did for these friends of mine, and so I would choose to obey most of the time, not always, my, my parents. And here's what happened. I got made fun of for it. I mean, I can, rem- I can remember like it was yesterday, sitting at the lunch table, my friends making fun of me because I, in that moment, again, I didn't always, but in that moment, I chose to do the right thing. I didn't go along with them, and they ridiculed me for it. But I had a higher view of my parents than I did for them in that moment. Well, it's the same with the world and Jesus. Who do we count it? Who who is more worthy in our eyes to submit to? If we are not raptured up in our minds, consumed with the majesty and glory of Jesus, the world will win out every time. But notice what Peter is saying. Don't fear them. Don't be troubled by them. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy honor christ the lord count him and him alone worthy of your submission of your devotion of your obedience he is worthy of it even if you should suffer for obeying him i want you to notice this beautiful passage in hebrews if we're if we're in this position of being torn about whether we're going to submit to the world and escape temporary suffering or submit to Jesus, who has provided everlasting life, consider the opening to the book of Hebrews long ago. And at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, speaking of Jesus, the Son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I want to tell you something. If that is our view of Jesus, he will win out in our hearts every time, no matter the suffering that we may face because of it. He is worthy. But see, here's what happens. Here's the missional component that's just a backdrop for Peter's letter. We're not doing this just for the sake of our own selves, counting Jesus worthy. But when we choose to suffer for Jesus, then it helps others see that we believe that Jesus is worthy of our devotion to the point that we would be willing to suffer for following him. 
And so the result is that we're actually pointing other people to the worthiness of Jesus Christ. The dangers that we would submit to people rather than to Jesus. But what we need to do is make sure we never stop growing in our awe. That word awe, just standing back and going, I can't even put into words how incredible Jesus is. As we grow in our awe of who Christ is, we will be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Don't stop growing in your awe of Jesus, Christian. Here's the thing. When we willingly endure suffering for righteousness' sake, we show the world our hope is not found in this world. And when we do that, then the world starts asking us questions, which is what we want. The world starts asking us questions. They want to know why, 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 why. Why would you be willing to endure suffering for this Jesus? Why would you be willing to do the right thing even though you know that you are going to suffer for it? Peter and John and James and Thaddeus and those other disciples that we often just leave off in the dust, those apostles, right? Why would you be willing to be arrested and then Keep preaching about Jesus and then be arrested again and then keep preaching about Jesus and then be arrested and be beaten for it and then leave rejoicing that you were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. Why? The world begins to ask why. And when they ask why, we need to be ready with an answer. Truth number three, you should consider suffering for righteousness sake a blessing because it opens a door to explain the good news of Jesus. It opens a door. Perhaps a door that was closed, perhaps someone that was closed off to the gospel that didn't want anything to do with Jesus. When they see our willingness to suffer, some will want to know why. And when they ask, we ought to be ready to walk through that open door and explain the good news of Jesus. Now, I think back on the Apostle Paul's life, and this happened over and over for him. The people wanted to know why, 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 even as we get to the end of Acts. When Paul's kind of finishing up his missionary journeys and he's fixing to get sent to Rome and and really going to live out um, a lot of the rest of his life in a Roman prison. He has opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in Jerusalem to even stand up uh, before uh, and, and in the larger region around Jerusalem to stand up before um, folks like King Agrippa, to stand up before some of the high priests, to stand up before Bernice, to stand up for some of these Roman officials and to give an account. You know why? Because they wanted to know why they were actually questioning Paul. They're saying, why are you? Why? What's the deal here? Why will you not just shut your mouth about this Jesus? Why are you willing to suffer? Why are you appealing to Caesar? Why, why, why? And over and over, he opened his mouth. And you know what he did? He just shared the gospel. He just shared the good news of Jesus. Notice what Peter says. He says, as you are honoring Christ, the Lord is holding your hearts, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We don't want to leave the world wondering. We want to tell them why. What is the hope in us? His name is Jesus. What is the reason for that hope? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good news that you and I, 
were born dead in our sins, kicked out forever of the kingdom of God with no hope of rescue, no way that we could ever earn our way back to the Father, nothing that we could ever do that would make us worthy of His love. But God loved us even while we were still sinners. And He sent His Son to this earth to live a perfect life in our place, to die the death that we should have died, to die in our place, to absorb the wrath of God that was directed toward us. He steps in front of it on the cross and He takes all of the punishment, all of the wrath that should have been poured out on us. He takes it on Himself so that there's nothing left for us to have to pay for. He paid for it all. He died, which is the penalty for death, but He didn't stay dead. He rose up from the grave so that everyone who believes that Jesus Christ alone has the power to save them from their sins will be rescued for all of eternity. And instead of experiencing hell for their sin, they will experience heaven because Jesus has paid it all. That is the hope that we have. It is an eternal hope. It is a living hope. It's a hope that Peter has already talked about at the very beginning of this letter in verse 3 of chapter 1 when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, that is the hope that we have. That's why I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. And if anyone wants to know, I will gladly tell them about this hope so that they too will have an opportunity to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. I wonder today if that's you. If maybe you're the one who's asking why. What's the deal with this Jesus? And today, you need to trust in that good news that I just explained. Maybe today, God is opening a door for you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Listen, He's done it all. But you have to believe. You have to take a step of faith. You have to trust that what He did on the cross was enough and give your life over to Him. And He says that He will cause you to be born again to this living hope. Here's what it means for us, Christian. It means that we face a danger in our walk with the Lord. That when we face suffering, we would be tempted to keep our mouths closed concerning the gospel. And Peter says, nope, no room in God's kingdom for people who want to follow Jesus and keep their mouths closed about it. When you have an opportunity, you open up your mouth and you give a reason. You tell them why you believe in Jesus Christ, which means we have to be prepared to know what to say, to know how to explain the gospel and have the boldness then to Open our mouths and to say it. It's one reason we're doing our gospel series on Sunday nights right now. So that we can grow and be prepared. So that when someone asks us for a reason that we have this hope inside of us, we won't go, um, uh, well, Jesus and, um, and, and he died and, uh, and we should believe in him. Um, um, we want to be able to say the gospel. We want to say it. 
but we want to say it the right way. And that leads us to our fourth and final truth. You know, you can say the right thing, but you can say it the wrong way. You can say the right thing, and you can say it the wrong way. You ever told somebody, sorry? Sorry, I'm sorry. Maybe you told a parent that. Maybe you told a kid that. Maybe you told a spouse that. You said the right thing, but you said it the wrong way. It's good to say, I'm sorry, but sorry. That's not the right way. It's good to tell people the gospel. But if we do it out of meanness, out of spiteness, in arrogance, in a condemning way, God's not honored in that. And so Peter finishes this passage by reminding us what started it all. For righteous living. If we suffer for righteousness sake and then turn around and tell the gospel in an unrighteous way, well, we're living a, a hypocritical life. We're contradicting ourselves and contradicting the message of the gospel. And so he finishes this passage by saying this. Yet do it. Do what? Give a defense. Open your mouth. Speak the gospel. Talk about the hope. Do this in gentleness and respect. Really, that word respect is the word fear, which I think means out of fear of God. Okay, which leads us to speak with gentleness, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's the thing. When we suffer for righteousness sake, we ought to consider it a blessing because it exposes the foolishness of rejecting Jesus. Ultimately, it exposes the foolishness of rejecting Jesus. You see, those who are causing the suffering are rejecting Christ. And then they're going to slander us. But if we are living righteously, if we are speaking with kindness and gentleness, no matter what they're doing to us, if we are, as the question in verse 13 says, zealous, that means enthusiastic about doing good things, even for those who persecute us, then the only thing they're going to be able to slander is what Peter says, our good behavior in Christ, which is crazy. You're going to slander someone for their good behavior. Now we see why, because it's good behavior in Christ. And if the world is rejecting Jesus, they're going to have to reject our good behavior. But at the end of the day, who is going to be shown to be foolish? Those who are slandering someone for their good behavior. Why would you ever slander someone for their good behavior? And our ultimate goal isn't that they would be shamed for the sake of them being shamed. But in their shame, they would realize, wait a second, this person's message of the gospel is being backed up by a life that has been transformed. And when we say that Jesus has changed us, and then back it up with a life that shows that he has changed us because we are, instead of repaying reviling for reviling, cursing for cursing, we are speaking blessing on those who are cursing us, then what argument do you have left? And our prayer then is that some, as their foolishness is exposed, would turn and trust in this Jesus, and they too would be willing to suffer for righteousness sake. But even if they don't, when Christ returns one day, they'll finally realize that they're in the wrong. 
Either way, they will bow the knee to Jesus. Of course, we desire that they would do it now rather than later. We've got to have confidence that our good behavior in Christ will ultimately win out. You say, Zach, I know that happened to Peter, the story you told at the beginning. But nobody's knocking on my door telling me that they're going to arrest me for telling folks about Christ true one reason might be that you're not telling people about jesus but maybe that's another sermon but even if you are maybe you say i don't how do i does this really happen in in our world today in our society today here in america yeah it does can i tell you another quick story and we'll wrap up i'll tell you a story about a couple that was called by god to go to a difficult place and plant a church. And um, a part of them living in that place is needing to buy a home to live in. This particular place is in a large city, and a lot of the times the way you buy a home is you don't buy the whole house, you buy a floor of the house. And so this couple bought the second floor of a house. Somebody owns the floor below them, and somebody owns the floor above them. And uh, their job in that city that God's calling them to is to start a church. And uh, and so they have had some folks over to their house, a little Bible study around their dinner table. Uh, But the people that live below them don't like the fact that this couple is wanting to start a church that shares the name of Jesus in their community. And so this couple that lives below them has gone out of their way to make life absolutely miserable for the couple who God called to plant a church there. So much so that they curse at them and yell things at their friends when their friends come over to read the Bible around the dinner table. They have mounted speakers in their ceiling, which is the floor of the couple who is planning the church, and blast music through it up to 100 decibels. And that couple who's playing the church has a one-year-old and a newborn. And why are they doing this? The couple that lives on the first floor? Because they're part of the world. But the bigger question, why is the couple on the second floor enduring? Because they're elect exiles. And they're living on mission. And it's hard. So much so that they ordered a bunch of packing plays, the portable cribs, and sent them to friends' houses around the city so that they need a break from the animosity in their home, in their building. They have somewhere to go and have a bed to lay their baby in for a little while where it's quiet. Why aren't they cursing them in return? Why aren't they trying to make life miserable for them? For the people on the first floor? It's because they're living on mission. Because they are counting it a blessing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Because they have a desire that those people below them would one day see that Jesus is worthy of their lives. So that maybe one day, 
those people would say, why? They haven't said it yet, but they would say, why are you doing this? And then they have an open door to explain the hope of the gospel. And all along the way, they're filling their home and their, and their actions toward these people with good behavior. So that when they have that opportunity, they will not be seen as hypocrites, but their lives will back up what they say they believe. And that their foolishness of their neighbors would be exposed. So that, so that, that couple would cross over from death to life would be counted as elect exiles of God and would proclaim the excellencies of Him who called them out of darkness into His marvelous light. What about you? Are you living on mission? At work? At school? Are you willing to suffer for righteousness' sake? And not just willing to do it, but do you count it a blessing? For Jesus our Lord said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we ask for your help. We can't do this on our own. And so we need you to fill our minds with your worthiness. Help us to stand in awe of you. Help us to have an immense desire to share the hope of the gospel with people. And to expose their foolishness, not by calling them fools, but by showering them with good behavior, with good conduct. All the while realizing, Lord, who is there to harm us if we are zealous for what is good? Father, our eternity is secure in Christ. We don't have anything to fear in this world. So let us live for you, no matter the cost, no matter what people say no matter the reviling or the slandering, no matter the suffering, Father, we see it as a blessing to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen.